are studying Jeremiah and how God's plan prevails. And we've had a lot of difficult sermons in Jeremiah because it's dealing with difficult, controversial issues that were controversial for Jeremiah, had him put in jail, as we'll talk about today. Uh, he was imprisoned under the guard uh, of the court, and we'll, we'll talk about a little bit of that today. And in addition, it's been difficult because he's, he's confronting sin inside of the culture. And so we have been doing that also, confronting our sin, even the sins that we as Christians commit, but in sin in general in society. But last week, we got to move forward. And while, yes, punishment was coming and the punishment was for their good, it, it, it still was talking about punishment. But the primary message of last week is that God's good plan prevails. And so we've been talking about how God's plan prevails. And last week, we got to look at how it's good, how it's going to work out for good. And we've been talking about a little bit of that every week, but last week, we got to, to focus on that. And, and this week, we get to focus on a lot more of that because we're going to start chapter 30 today, and we'll look at chapter 33 also. We'll look at a little bit in between there. Uh, but in the next sermon that I preach, we will be looking more at Jeremiah 32 and the beginning of 33 and so this week, we're going to look at chapters 31 and 33 in particular, or sorry, 30 and 33 in particular. And in Jeremiah chapter, at the end of 29, where we left off last week, uh, we saw that in the middle of 29, that God gives us hope of, of these good plans that he has for us and, and plans for our welfare, you know, that they're good for us. And at the end of that, what we didn't get to at the end of chapter 29, we mentioned, and we've seen multiple times in Jeremiah, is that God was going to judge the false prophets. And now we've seen that in Jeremiah before, but it was the false prophets that were there in Jerusalem. The thing that was different about chapter 29 is even after they were taken into exile in Babylon, there were still false prophets making false prophecies. And God tells the false prophets, of his people, but they were in exile in Babylon, that he was going to judge them and it was not going to be good. And then uh, at the beginning of chapter 30, we were going to mention that last week and I didn't get there. So I'm going to start with talking about how God's Messiah prevails. And that will be this, the title for this week. We will look at that together. And at the beginning of chapter 30, there's a few verses that I want us to look at that we didn't get to last week. And in verse 1, it says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Now, we've seen this multiple times, and Jeremiah often has a word that came to him from the Lord. And sometimes he would say, Thus says the Lord. Sometimes it would say it like this, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. But the false prophets always said, uh, also said, Thus says the Lord. And so when we see the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, this is clear that this is from God. And then look at the next verse. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. Now, this um, isn't talking about just all of Jeremiah. There are different parts of Jeremiah where God comes to him and says, write this down. And so we have several times when God says, write this down. And this is part of really chapters 30 through 33, um, specifically chapters 30 and 31, because the Lord comes back in 32, the Lord comes back in 33 and says some other things. So we know that in general, or specifically this is talking about chapters 30 and 31, 
But in general, this is said over and over again. In fact, if you remember, after Jeremiah preaches his temple sermon in, in chapter 7, that was a long time ago, um, but we see that stuff repeated, as we talked about last week, in, in chapter 7, chapter 26, chapter 36, and even Jeremiah's re response to Barak in chapter 45. Um, Jeremiah preaches this sermon, and then he tells Barak to write it down and take it to the king, because since Jeremiah preached the sermon against God's people and against Judah and against the king, he wasn't allowed at the temple. That's weird, right? That the prophet wasn't allowed at the temple anymore. But he wasn't allowed in the king's presence. He wasn't allowed at the temple. He wasn't. There, there were some restrictions put on him. And so he tells Barak to write these words down and take it to the king. And he does. And they're read to the king. And the king burns his words. So he wrote down what God told him to. And they were burned, and then he had to write that over again. And so, of course, burning God's word isn't going to end God's word. It's it's infinite. Whatever God says is permanent, and, and it will last forever. And, and so here is another time when God says, write this in a book. And thankfully he did, because we have this now. This is just an interesting thing that I didn't want to skip over in Jeremiah, where we have what is said at... at because of a command of the Lord that Jeremiah was to write these things down. And so, verse 3, For behold, days are coming. So they're not here yet. This is a prophecy. Days are coming, not here yet for Jeremiah's audience, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people. Now, this restoration is good news. There's not a lot of talk of restoration in Jeremiah. There is, but not as much as judgment. And so it's very good to hear this, right? To hear that, that God will restore the fortunes of his people. But, but who, who are his people and when? Israel and Judah, says the Lord. Now remember, Israel, the northern kingdom, has already been destroyed. Judah, the southern kingdom, has been, it's been prophesied that it will be destroyed. And now in chapter 30... In 31, and 32, and 33, which we'll be focusing on the next two weeks, it's interesting because these are happening in different times. Because remember, Jeremiah is not in chronological order. So we're going to jump through the timeline that we looked at last week. And if you didn't see last week's sermon, I really encourage you to go back and watch that. It's, it's on YouTube, and, and there's a link on our Facebook page from last week for that sermon. And so I encourage you to watch it because it really puts into perspective the timeline and when things are happening and what's going on because we've been jumping through time through all these sermons and in the next two sermons, this one and the next one, we will jump through time a lot also just in four chapters. And so with that said, it's interesting to note that God is not just talking about Judah. He's talking about all his people, Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdom. And Israel and Judah says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. It's interesting that the first part of the, the Old Testament is God making this promise to Abraham and making this promise to Moses that there is this incredible land out there that he's going to give them, and it's them journeying to the promised land. And the end of the Old Testament, or maybe not the way the books are organized, but chronologically, um, it's about them getting back to Jerusalem and, and Israel restored and Judah restored and the timeline there. And so 
even though punishment is coming, restoration will follow. And we saw that last week, but I just wanted to read these verses because they're a, they're a good bridge from last week to this week. And remember, God's Messiah prevails is what we're going to be looking at this week. So let's go ahead and, and move on to Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 8. So we're skipping a few verses. There's a lament that Jeremiah shares, if you want to go back and read that, and it, that we didn't read in verses 4 through 7. An interesting note about Jeremiah that you won't be able to see here on our screen, but if you're looking in your Bible, you'll be able to see. In chapter 30, most of this is in poetry. And so you'll be able to see that set aside in the format if you have a Bible present that does that. And, and, and so we're going to start in verse 8, and it says this, And it shall come to pass in that day. So this is talking about a future day. If you remember at the beginning of the chapter, we saw that there's going to be a day when restoration occurs. And that I want to say something about from Jeremiah's audience, the people reading this, remember writing a book, so the people reading this, and hearing his prophecies during that time, uh, that there are going to be some immediate fulfillments of prophecy, specifically the judgment that's coming. And then there's going to be some prophecy that is going to be fulfilled, that, but it's going to be a while, right? At the end of the 70 years of exile, of them being taken captive into Babylon. So some of the prophecies here are immediate. Some of the prophecies in Jeremiah are a little more extended. Then some of the prophecies are about the coming Messiah, which our sermon is about today, being, meaning Jesus. And so there, some of the prophecies are, are hundreds of years of coming to pass because it's about the Messiah. And then even more further into the future, there are some prophecies that still have not been fulfilled yet that we're, we know that they're going to be fulfilled because God has been faithful and answered and been true to all the prophecies that he uh, said were going to pass up to this point, they have passed. But there's still some prophecies that have not come to pass that we're still waiting on, specifically referring to the second coming of Jesus and when we will be in heaven with him and things like that. And so that's important to note that some of what Jeremiah is saying should be implemented right then. Those people should have repented the first time Jeremiah came to them and said, here are the sins, uh, we need to repent. They should have repented then. It was immediate. Then there were things, prophecies where Jeremiah, as I just said, uh, judgment is coming very soon. So those were prophecies to be that were going to happen soon. Then after he kept saying that, he said, after 70 years, restoration is coming. And God's going to bring us back to the land that he originally gave us. And so we'll be looking more at those type of things next week, even though some of that is in here today. And then there's the prophecy about when Jesus was here on earth the first time. We'll be talking about a lot of those prophecies today. But also tied in with that are prophecies that still have not been fulfilled that are about Jesus' return, which he has promised us he's coming back. And so... I say that because it's all important and tied in. And so we're, we're talking about a weird timeline in Jeremiah and how it's not in chronological order. But when you start throwing in future prophecies, distant prophecies, and even still for us today, distant prophecies, um, which it could be tomorrow, it could be distant, I don't know. But uh, I wanted to be clear about that. So going back to verse 8, And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of, of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck. So who's his yoke? Well, this is the yoke that was talked about 
in Jeremiah chapter 27 and 28 that we looked at a few weeks ago, or a couple weeks ago. And, and we, we've seen that this yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, that he was going to lead Judah and the surrounding kingdoms into exile under his authority. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, was going to do that. But there's going to be a day when God breaks the yoke of the exile of Nebuchadnezzar. And, and I will burst you, I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. <clears throat> Verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king. Now, this isn't talking, this isn't before King David. This is after King David. And so who is this David their king? They shall serve the Lord their God. We know Yahweh. The Old Testament talks about Yahweh a lot, right? The father. That from the New Testament, we view him as the father. And, and David, their king, this is talking about a king who will reign, and he is going to be this prophet, priest, king that's talked about all throughout the Old Testament in, in a way that it looks forward to him coming. And then, of course, the New Testament starts with his lineage, and this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. So when it's talking about David, their king, it's talking about we know now it's talking about Jesus. Now, they knew then it was some kind of savior. It was someone who was going to come and rescue them. Uh, but most of the people did not put together all the prophecies in the Old Testament relating to the Messiah. And so while now we know that Jesus came as, yes, as king, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, but he also come, came as a servant. And that's mentioned a lot, and, and Isaiah focuses on that for a lot of his, the end of his book. There are these songs, the songs of the suffering servant that Isaiah mentions. And Jeremiah is looking more of the king part of this. And that's what we're going to focus on today, how he will conquer, how he will bring hope and restoration and forgiveness and all that. And so they shall serve the Lord their God their Sorry, they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. And so he's not going to bring David back to life to be king again. He's raising up a new branch of David. And as he's already said in Jeremiah and is said in chapters 33, or sorry, 30 through 33. And so verse 10, then fear not, O Jacob, my servant. And Jacob is another name for Israel. If you remember earlier in the Old Testament in Genesis, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, uh, the brother of Esau, was wrestling with God or striving with God. And his name was changed to Israel, one who has striven with God, one who wrestles with God. Or depending on what part of the South you're in, wrestles with God. Uh, and so, O Jacob, another name for Israel, my servant declares the Lord, fear not, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease and none shall make him afraid. So there's this prophecy that one day God's going to bring them back. Yes, they're going to be punished. And we've already seen in chapter 29, even though that was the previous chapter, maybe not in the timeline, but in the order of the way Jeremiah is structured, that they're already in Babylon in chapter 29. And even while they're in Babylon, God talks about the good plans he has for them and, and, and tells them that after 70 years they will return. And we're seeing this here again in chapter 30, verse 10, 
that he's going to bring them back from their captivity. In verse 11, For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. Now, there's an immediate salvation, right? That after I say immediate. After 70 years, they will return from exile. But this is tying in some of that more immediate, uh, the distant in the sense of 70 years, to Jesus being here on earth and the salvation he offers, but also the furthest of what we still haven't seen fulfilled yet, Jesus returning. It's tying in some of this. So it's, it's, it's hard to untangle it and untwist it because it's all together. And so while the audience of Jeremiah might not have understood everything that was going on here, they knew that this had to be more than just a regular king because David's not going to be resurrected, right? They knew it had to be more than just a regular king. And we'll see that even more clearly as we continue. And they knew that this is talking about them coming home from exile, but it's going to be clear in the scripture that it's talking about more than that. And so, continuing, I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you. But of you, I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. And so this is important to know because we talked about this last week, so I won't dwell here, but I just want to remind you that even though for those of us who are Christians who have put our faith in the Lord, even though Jesus takes our punishment and we will get to go to heaven, right? There are still consequences to our sins and there are still consequences to our actions. Now, if we have not asked Jesus to pay for those sins, then we will have to pay for them for an eternity. But for those of us who are followers of Christ, who have accepted the free gift of salvation from God through Jesus Christ, who have accepted the forgiveness that's offered through him, then we are forgiven, but that doesn't mean that we're spared from 100% of the consequences. The worst consequence, hell, yes, we're spared from that. But we still might have to deal with the just measure on this side of eternity of the uh, just the consequences of our actions. And so they're not going to go unpunished, but he is bringing them back. Now, in the immediate context, 70 years of exile, right? That's a big punishment. Um, verse 12. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. So no one's going to be able to help Israel except God, right? Let's, he's making this clear. Verse 13. There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you, for I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. So God has brought a huge judgment upon them. Now, while we are not in exile in Babylon or about to be taken there is the case of this chapter. Um, we still, every single one of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us will have to answer to God and, and, and be accountable to his judgment. And we can either have Jesus on our side saying, I have paid for their sin, they have followed me, they have put their faith in me, and therefore they have accepted the payment that I have made on their behalf for sin. Or we have to deal with the, that payment ourselves. We owe God a debt. And the Bible is clear going into the New Testament that f for those who do not put their faith in God, that 
punishment is an eternal separation from him, which is a big blow, just as this is a big blow that we're talking about here. And so we need to repent while we still have time. We need to follow him while we still have time. It's too late here for, for Judah. They, the punishment is coming. And in fact, it gets pretty intense here fairly shortly uh, in, in going into chapter 31, 32, 33. So continuing, why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable. He's repeating himself. Because your guilt is great. Because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. It's because of what they've done that they're getting judged. And we can say it's unfair for God to send someone to hell. And, and look, I'm not saying that that is an easy thought for me. That is something that we should all struggle with. It is a very difficult thing. You know, the fact that, that uh, God will punish for an eternity. The fact that there is such a finality um, to our chance of repenting. That is difficult, but it's true. It's repeated over and over and over again in Scripture, and we have to make sure that we are turning to Him. He has given us plenty of warning and plenty of time to repent, and we don't know when our last breath is, so we need to repent today. And He's telling Israel or Judah, why are you crying out? You brought this upon yourself. But the good news is, going back to last week, that even though they brought this upon themselves, that he is still has a good plan for them, and he's working it together for their good, right? And so verse 16, Therefore all who devour you shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. So the people who have been too harsh, like God has been using other people to judge Israel, but there are limits to what is honoring to God in doing this. And these people have surpassed that. Even Nebuchadnezzar, went too far. And Jeremiah prophesies that Nebuchadnezzar will be judged. And here he's saying everyone who has devoured them and everyone who went too far in their punishment that he's going to, um, they're, they're going into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered and all who prey on you, I will make a prey. So now it's turning a little bit. Jesus, God here is not just talking about the punishment that Israel is going to receive, but we're talking now about that God is going to take up for them. We've already seen that, and he's going to bring them back to the land, but now he's saying that he's going to be just and deal with their enemies in the right way. Verse 17, For I will restore, here's that word again, restore, I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal. Remember, they're incurable. Their wounds can't be healed, and yet God can, and he will. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion for whom no one cares. God is saying, I'm going to show them that I'm your God and that I do care for you. That all along, all of the stuff that's happening to them in Jeremiah, that's being prophesied that will happen, that we see happen, all this punishment, it's for their good. And God will take care of them. He will bring them home from exile. He will heal them. And so we see that here prophesied in verse 17 as in other places. Thus says the Lord, very common phrase in Jeremiah, verse 18, thus says the Lord, behold, I will restore, there's that word again, restore, restoration, we keep seeing this, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound and the palace shall stand where it used to be. So God is saying, 
I'm bringing you home. We're going to rebuild this thing. This, th we will see this start happening in 70 years with people starting to filter back in to Jerusalem, into Judah. It, and um, not only that, but we get to see some of this stuff play out. We get to see some of the stuff in, in Babylon play out in exile through Daniel. Then, you know, later on, we see some stuff with Esther. And then, of course, we see uh, Ezra and Nehemiah when they start coming back and rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the temple. And that's what it's being prophesied here. So verse 19, out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving. We see this happen, too, in the Old Testament. But we surely see this in the New Testament. And, and we're going to talk about that more as we go along. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will make them honored, and they shall not be small. There's going to be a lot of people praising God in the future is what this is saying. Their children shall be as they were of old, and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince, this would be the the. David, that was mentioned earlier, Jesus. Their prince shall be one of themselves. So, Jewish. Their ruler shall come out of their midst. Now, specifically Judah. And remember, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. I will make him draw near, and he shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me? Who could approach God? Well, God, Jesus, his son, declares the Lord. Verse 22, and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is such a common thing that is said in the Old Testament and especially in the New Testament. We're, we see this in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, or chap, sorry, chapter 2 verses 4 through 8. We, we see this in Exodus 19, 5 through 6. We see th that would be the Mosaic Covenant. Um, we see this repeated many times throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. And this is specifically not just talking about Judah, but this is talking about all Christians, all the people who are adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus. They shall, when Jesus approaches him, as in the previous verse, then they shall be my people and I will be your God. Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It burst upon the head of the wicked, the wicked of Judah. And, and this is talked about, these verses are specifically repeated from an earlier passage in Jeremiah where it's talking about the false prophets of Judah. Here, let's see exactly what it's talking about, who, who the head of the wicked are. Verse 24, the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In latter days, you will understand this. Anyone who goes against him, anyone who goes against him will see his wrath. We'll see his judgment. Anyone who goes against his people will see his wrath, will see his judgment. And it might not be on this side of eternity, although a lot of those people that are talked about there, they see it. But in an eternal sense, in, in God's final judgment, then we, we will, you know, unfortunately get what's coming to us unless we have asked Jesus to save us and forgive us. And then Jesus has paid the debt that we would have to pay if we did not have him. So with that said, uh, we're going to look at a little bit of chapter 31. We looked at chapter 31 uh, on Easter, so we're not going to spend much time there. But I do, there, there's a passage that it's hard to skip in moving forward. Um, and so we're going to look at that. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, he says this, which is 
such an important part of, of Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So this, again, this isn't just Judah. This is the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This is the whole kingdom of God, uh, that, of God's people in the Old Testament. And something new is coming, a new covenant. It's not going to be like the old, as we're about to see. It's going to be new. Verse 32. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and, and to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. So that old covenant is broken. Hebrews in the New Testament tells us that there wouldn't be a need for a new covenant if the old covenant was sufficient. So the old covenant, this promise with Israel has been broken. That doesn't mean he's done with Israel, but it means that there's something new coming because they broke the old agreement, the old contract, the old covenant. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. God was faithful to them. They were not faithful to him. So two more verses here in chapter 31 that we're going to look at. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, so it's not, it's not going to be about obeying the law as in the book of the law, the Ten Commandments and the other laws in the Old Testament. It's not about that. He's going to put something within us. He will write it on our hearts. There's going to be a, a, a heart and a love and a relationship with him that's coming. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is repeated, right? I will be their God and they shall be my people. And, and we see that we have this opportunity through Jesus. And so while we're looking at Jeremiah, and while we should go back to the timeline of, of when this is happening, you know, 600 years before Jesus, we're looking at what's happening and what Jeremiah is saying to his people. At the same time, there are prophecies in Jeremiah and the rest of the Bible that are talking about future events. Some of them would occur shortly, and then there's a spectrum of how long some of those prophecies are before they are fulfilled. And some of them still today have not been fulfilled, but we, we believe, as I've said, that they will be fulfilled. And in the New Testament, we see how this comes to be. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the David that's promised. The New Covenant comes through a relationship with him. And we're not held according to the law anymore. We're judged according to if we have a relationship with Jesus or not. Whether we have accepted the payment that he made for sin, all sin, our sin, on the cross. And so, we are his people now, for those of us who have put our faith in him. Verse 34, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So, hey, anyone who puts their faith in Christ can know him, can know God, can have a relationship with him. Their sins can be forgiven. This is something that is not small. This is a huge deal. This is what all of the Old Testament is working toward, is to show them that they can't uphold the law. That God can give us rules, but we cannot follow them perfectly. We are not God. We cannot be righteous. Who is righteous? No one, according to Psalms, according to Romans, no one is righteous, not one, except for Jesus. And so we can put our faith in Jesus, God himself. He came to this earth. 
He lived a life that was perfect. And we're going to see a little bit more of this as we continue further into Jeremiah. Now, we're going to skip here. We're going to skip chapter 32 because we're going to come back to it next week. And we're going to skip the first part of chapter 33, which we will also look at next week. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and go to chapter 33, verse 14. And this is what it says. Behold, the days are coming. Because this week we're focusing more on these future fulfillments, these future prophecies. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. Now, it's not going to be um, any true descendant of David in a human sense without some kind of intervention from God because who is righteous? No king, no earthly king is righteous, but Jesus is righteous. Jesus, who is, of course, the son of Mary, but had no earthly father. God placed Jesus in the womb of Mary. And, and this is deep, and this is, I mean, this is incredible. This is a miracle. Um, but, but God himself Place Jesus, who already existed, who we've already seen in the Old Testament. We don't know. His name's not Jesus yet, but we see uh, the angel of the Lord. We see Abraham talking to the Lord. We see this over and over in the New Testament. We see uh, that there's this prophecy of this man who will be born, and yet there's something that's a little more than just man about him. We see this prophesied, and here we see it again, this righteous branch. He will be a descendant of David, but it's this righteous descendant that is, is placed there by God. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Remember, what does God have against them? We saw it in, in, in chapter 22. We've seen it throughout, but the latest time was in chapter 22 where he told them to do justice and righteousness. They have not been doing this. The kings have not been doing this. One day there will be a king who will do this. And, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, in chapter 30, we're looking at Jehoiakim. In chapter uh, 33, we're looking at Zedekiah. Different kings, but neither of them were righteous. And this king will be righteous. Verse 16. In those days, Judah will be saved. Now, this is New Testament language, right? Of course, they'll be saved from exile. But this is talking about something more than just returning from exile. Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh is our righteousness. Now this is a play on the name Zedekiah, who was the king at this time. It's a play on words in the Hebrew. But it's also interesting that who is going to be called this? Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. There's such there's there's going to be this city. Go look in Revelation 21 and 22. There's going to be this city, and we we probably refer to it as the New Jerusalem or heaven, and it's going to be so entangled with the church and with Jesus that when the when the city comes down, when the new uh, city comes down, that it it's described just as the church is described. And how is the church described? Except like Jesus. And here we see that it's it will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Now, if we're depending on our righteousness to please God, we're in trouble. Because these people in Jeremiah didn't even know 
what righteousness looked like. They didn't even know what it meant to follow God wholeheartedly and completely. And, and so if we're de- depending on our idea of righteousness or uh, some kind of societal moral code or something like that, we're in trouble. But if we're relying on God, then He is our righteousness. And we can depend on His righteousness. And we can trust in His righteousness and strive to be like Him, sure. But it's not dependent on our good works. It's not dependent on how good we are. It's dependent on the grace that he has given us, the gift of salvation that he has given us. Verse 17, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Jesus will reign forever. Now, they might not know exactly what's being said here. They might think that it's just talking about many kings throughout the generations, but that's not what it's talking about. This is talking about the Messiah. This is talking about the one who's ushering in the new covenant. This is talking about the righteous branch of David. This is talking about all these things that we can clearly see now, but might not have been so clearly seen by the people of Jeremiah's time. Verse 18, And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. The interesting thing is is that Jesus made a once and for all sacrifice himself on the cross. And if you want to know more about this, I encourage you to read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It is a little bit of a difficult book to read from New Testament standards, but man, does it connect the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. All of these things that we're talking about today, the, the eternal king, the eternal priest, all of this stuff. And so this is talking about Jesus, hundreds of years before he was even born. There are some places in Scripture that Psalm 22 talks about the details of his death hundreds of years before crucifixion is even a form of execution. Um, Isaiah 53 talks about how he will cover our sins by by his wounds, by his stripes, you know, we have been healed. It talks about some specific details about him that before he's even born. And here we get these general details of, of this vague image, but a clear image in a, in a general sense, but maybe not in the specifics of how this will all work out. But there's coming this righteous branch of David, this king who will sit forever, this priest who will always reign. Verse 19, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So we see this again. In, in verse 20, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will, will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. And so he's saying, hey, if you can, you know, turn night into day and day into night, then my covenant can be broken. Of course, that's not going to happen. And so his covenant is going to stand forever. Verse 22. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David my servant, and the Levitical priests who minister to me. Now, Jesus, we, we've already said he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And we know he was born in Bethlehem and all that stuff. He's not a Levite. So how is he going to be a priest? Well, Hebrews, again in the New Testament, explains that he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, which You have to go back to Genesis and this episode with Abraham and Lot to see what that means. But what it means is is that Jesus is not a priest who has a beginning. He is a priest who has always existed and now has come to be a priest for our 
you know, for God's glory, but for our good. And he is the priest that will last forever. And that is made clear in the New Testament. And all this is prophesying about him. Verse 23. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I, uh, sorry, have you not observed that these people are saying, the Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose. So people are, you know, God has judged them harshly. So understandably, some people are saying he has rejected them. Thus, they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and fixed order and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and, and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so he's saying, if they're right, if I've rejected Judah forever, right, which the covenant is broken, but that does not mean he is done with Israel, that he's done with Judah. And, and that's what he's trying to make clear here. He's saying, just as there's night and day, you can trust that I have not broken my relationship, even though the covenant it has been broken, I'm not done with them. For I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. Now, context, yes, 70 years they will, they will come back from exile. He's not done with them. Further context, a little further down the timeline, he is going to raise up this righteous branch of David this eternal king, this eternal priest. That's Jesus who existed before his birth on earth but will be born in the future at this point, in the past from our perspective. And, and then in the, even further down the timeline, we are going to see that he will never break the covenant with his people. This new covenant will not be broken. Jesus established it with his death and it will last forever. What's the proof that it's made new and it's going to last forever. The resurrection. He rose from the dead. Death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. And in the same way, just as that showed that he had power and his relationship is secure, just as the night and day that keeps cycling shows his faithfulness, he is not done with Israel. And specifically in a New Testament context, that's all those who put their faith in Jesus and are adopted in. And so, where does that leave us? What's the point of all this? Well, the point is, is the same as last week. God knows what he's doing. He has a plan. And it's a plan of restoration. It's a plan to restore us. Let's fast forward to today. How do we apply this? We trust him. Even when things look chaotic. Even when things look like there's no hope. We trust him that because he has been faithful throughout the ages, he will continue to be faithful. And we have to put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus. We have to believe that he is going to continue to fulfill the promises that were made thousands of years ago. And in this case, you know, in Jeremiah's case, still some of these prophecies have not been fulfilled. But we can trust that they will be fulfilled because the ones that were supposed to have been, have been fulfilled already at our point today have been fulfilled. And so we can trust him to fulfill the ones that are yet to come. We can put our trust in him. For those of us who do not follow him, you can follow him. You can trust that he is good and that even if things look bad, he knows what he's doing. For those of us who are following him, then when we look around us and we see chaos, it's easy to get distracted and lost in that. 
But we turn our eyes to Jesus. We put our hope in Jesus. And we know that even when we have to suffer, that our suffering will result in his glory and our good. And so we trust that Jesus is faithful. We trust that, that he is a great high priest who will forever reign and is there uh, praying for us, interceding for us. He's there to save us. He's there to rescue us. He's there when we need him. And when we call out to him, he's going to show us special things as we will talk about next week. So let us pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we love you. I just pray that you would help us to put our trust in you, that we would um, know that you, the promises that you have fulfilled, we can trust because of that, that you will fulfill all the promises that have not yet been fulfilled. We can trust you in our daily life. We can trust you when things look bleak. We can trust you when there's pain, when there's hurt, even when the hurt looks incurable, even when the sin seems to be leading us to the grave, Lord, we can trust you that no matter what happens here and on this side of eternity, that you have good in store for eternity, that we will get to dwell with you in heaven, that one day there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. Lord, use us and help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you guys for worshiping with us this morning and digging into these chapters, which is a little confusing in the context of Jeremiah that's already out of order. And now we're talking about things that were gonna that's already happened uh, long ago, happened when Jesus came to the earth, which was long ago, 2,000 years ago, and, and things that will happen eventually. And so I hope that this made sense. I hope that when we work through these things that it was clear. Um, and I hope that you are putting your trust in the Messiah because God's Messiah prevails. And we know that Jesus prevails. And so uh, don't forget, if you want to um, come to the get together, the meet and greet that will be in our backyard tomorrow night, if you're watching this on Sunday, um, then please contact me and let me know. Uh, we're, we are scheduling time so that we can spread out people as far as not have too many people in the backyard at the same time. We do ask you to wear masks or face coverings. We ask you to bring a lawn chair if you would like to sit down while you're there. Um, and, and then look for the video uh, with the, the testimony that we are putting up with the potential candidate, the person that's coming in view of a call, and so you can get to know him better. Uh, but thank you guys for worshiping with us.